Welcome, everybody, to the brand new episode of the Celebrity Hour podcast. I'm Brian Kluger, and we have an amazing show today. We have an excellent guest. Oh, my gourd, the legendary intercontinental champion of film, screenplay writing, all the way from Los Angeles, California, Craig Moss. Welcome to the show. Oh my God, that was the best intro I've ever gotten. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're I mean, welcome. We don't even uh, need to do the interview. We don't need to do the interview. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, that's my inner pro wrestling coming out of the woodwork right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love, I love it. it. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Craig Moss has been in film for quite a while. You might have seen his movies such as Nightmare Nurse, The Badass Trilogy, or parody movies such as 40-Year-Old Virgin Who Knocked Up Sarah Marshall and Felt Super Bad About It, or the horror version 30 Nights of Paranormal Activity with the devil inside the girl with the dragon tattoo. But his most recent film, Let Us In, combines the ingredients of the perfect horror and comedy genre. Oh, wow. I can't wait to talk about this with you. Did I get those names right, by the way? Yeah, um, it's the 41-year-old virgin, vir virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about, okay. bad about it. We initially went with, we initially went with the 40-year-old, but then tweaked it to 41 because we, we were hoping that would add a little more comedy adding one more year to the protagonist. So I don't know if it worked or not. But no, 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 it, it definitely works. Uh, so we're going to get into all yeah. of this, but first, like in the sound of music, we've got to start at the very beginning. So Craig, Absolutely. Craig, where did it all start for you in movies? Was it something you saw on like an old VHS tape or Betamax tape back in the day? Did you have like an old JVC camera over the shoulder making films? Where did it all begin for you in movies? Honestly, Brian, like all of the above. Like I, I'm very impressed that you said Betamax. <laughs> because I don't know if anybody remembers the Betamax tapes. I may which, remember Beta. Which, okay, okay. Well, that was the thing. You would you would watch those Betamax tapes. But we, growing up in Los Angeles, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and we had for I was literally I was probably seven years old. We had cable called the Z Channel, and um, it was a box that was attached to a cord to your TV. And it was a huge clunky thick box and you'd press these buttons and they would pop in and pop out for different channels. And we would get everything. I mean, we'd get so many great things that you could watch on television. I mean, besides being able to go to the theater, which we went all the time to the movie theater. And when, you, when you're really young in the seven, growing up in the seventies, your parents didn't care what they took you to. Like when Jaws came out, I was probably six years old. They took me to see that and um, a bunch of other inappropriate movies at the time. But it was, you know, I started young and then watching the movies on Z Channel, they had all the James Bond movies. Um, uh, they started all, all the great comedies. They had a lot of the Mel Brooks stuff. And then, um, you know, that sort of began my love for, for film. And, and, you know, we'd go to the movies all the time, you know, especially during the summer, that was a thing to do. And, so, uh it yeah. grew from there, right? It grew from there. It grew from there. And, and, then, and then what happened was uh, I got an eight millimeter camera for uh, my bar mitzvah. And so I started using that with the neighbors and we were recreating James Bond movies. 
and uh, jumping off rooftops in the pools and doing stupid things like that. And then, uh, and then from there, we I did have the um, the JVC um, video camera. So so I I think I was 17 years old and I and I saved up enough money to buy one, and <laughs> and use that and and shot little short films with my brother who was so annoyed that I was dragging him into making movies and my friends and and then um, editing you know. Um, literally with with two vhs machines editing those those movies together um so then then ultimately what happened was i did a summer film program at usc and it was like a little you know you would make these videos it wasn't even you wouldn't shoot on film you just shoot on video and you couldn't there was no dialogue you would just add uh music to picture and tell a story within like five minutes and that that was that was a lot of fun and and really helpful with trying to tell a story and then um, I went to UCLA undergrad. And once I graduated, I applied to some film schools and then and, and didn't get in. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna do it myself. I'm just gonna shoot some films. And I shot my first short film on film on 16 millimeter. And the problem was it was supposed to be a short film but it, the film itself probably was like 29 minutes long which is like the you, first rule, you really do not wanna do that when you're shooting a short film. You want to try to keep it under like seven minutes or something. So I shot it. It was horrible. It was called Pool Guy. I did it with a buddy of mine, uh, Drew Schneiro. And, uh, and then from there, I realized I got to do short films. I have to do films that are short. And uh, the next film I did was better. And it went into the film through the film festival circuit and got some awards. And then um, a couple buddies of mine, had an idea to parody the movie Saving um, Private Ryan. And they called it Saving Ryan's Privates. <laughs> and so they needed a director. So, so I, we, we shot it like over a weekend out in uh, near uh, Agura and in, in Los, out of, uh, it's a suburb outside of Los Angeles. And um, uh, it became very popular. I mean, it was very popular within the Hollywood industry. And so at that time, internet showing films on internet wasn't really a thing and so um they would reproduce these vhs tapes at the studios and at the agencies and they would pass it around to everybody and it became sort of this thing and then it somehow popped up in the trades and and because of that sort of the popularity of the short i was able to sell a, a screenplay that i was working on with my writing partner and so with the short, I was able to be attached as a director to the screenplay. And uh, we ended up selling the screenplay to Columbia Pictures and a uh, producer named Neil Moritz, who, who, who uh, did all the, does all the Fast and the Furious movies. And, and uh, so that was how it kind of, how it, it all started. Wow, that's a pretty impressive story. I mean, I, I, I watched the Saving Ryan's Privates on YouTube. It, hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> that needs to be part thank of the you. Criterion collection, if I may say so. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, anytime you do a, a short about penis, I mean, it's right. got to be, you know, you got to put it in the Criterion. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you you're doing this. And first, let me go back to your bar mitzvah when you got your your first like 16 millimeter camera. Yes. Did you like add like 
the Dexy Midnight Runners, Come On Eileen, or Eye of the Tiger Survivor to any of your, any of your movies back then? But yeah, Eye of the Tiger was the, yeah, it was 82. So that was, that was absolutely true. That was the year that I was bar mitzvah. And uh, it was, I was, I wish I had a 60 millimeter. They gave me an eight millimeter, which, eight which millimeter. was, which was, yeah, but it was still great. I had no idea how to use it. And I, I, I anyway, but the bottom line is, um, yeah, there were, there was a lot of uh, great, sound you know different tracks that, that i could put to to that to the film and those are that those are some of them absolutely that's great i'm glad that you yeah. you said you were bar mitzvah eight two i was bar mitzvah in 94 so i think mine oh. was like warren g snoot or warren g regulators and oh uh, yeah like michael yeah. jackson's black or white or something like right that. right right yeah yeah no that's good you probably had a little nirvana too right at that point there was definitely a little and offspring we did a headbanging okay. contest to offspring nice. <laughs> first nice. album that, that's a great way to go <laughs> but I, lo I love that so you're 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 working in the the short films and you move on to the these parody films which it's i got to imagine that it's just it, it, you tell me if i'm wrong or not it's difficult to parody a comedy universe right yeah the way that came about you you're you're talking about specifically like the 41 year old virgin knocked up Sarah marshall and felt super bad about it you're talking yes, about that yeah, parody yes, yeah, okay yeah. yeah so how that what happened brian how that came about was so 2008 rolled around and, and there was the writer's strike and there was the, you know, the economy collapse and all that great stuff that happened that year. And, um, you know, I married, have kids, a mortgage, all that stuff. And, and I had a movie that was supposed to go at Fox and it didn't because of the, because of, you know, the strike and everything that was going on. So I was trying to figure out, okay, because during that time period, there's probably uh, seven or eight years that, I was able to, with my writing partner, sell spec screenplays. You know, during that time, you could sell a spec screenplay and make a living doing that. And um, I kind of, kind of forgot about the directing side of things because when I set up my film at Columbia, it went into turnaround, and then it went to, went to Warner Brothers, and then it, it died there. And it was sort of that was the trajectory of like, we, you know, look, there was films that were being made, but there were a lot more films that weren't being made, and and but they would buy them. And for maybe every hundred scripts they would buy, maybe 10 they'd make. And so, um, so I, we made a living selling screenplays, but then 2008 happened and everything kind of stopped. I'm like, oh my God, I, I, I got to pay bills. I don't know. What am I going to do? And, and I figured I got to get back to directing. So um, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'd do another parody um, or, or, or at least try to pitch a comedy and see if I can at least do that. So uh, another colleague of mine, Brad Kaya, and I went out and started trying to pitch comedies, but executives said to us, listen, you're not going to sell a comedy. You know, unless you're Judd Apatow, that's the only way you're going to sell a comedy. So at that point we realized that he was a brand and that we needed to figure out a, a different way to do this. So the title came up first, the 41 year old, well, the 40 year old version who knocked up Sir Marshall and felt super bad about it. And we said, you know what, let's just shoot it like a trailer over a weekend. And we shot it over a weekend and, uh, sent it out to a few different places. And there was this one producer, Ash Shaw, who's at a company called Silver Nitrate. He said, I love it. I think it's great. I can maybe get Fox on board, uh, the home video side of Fox. Give me a week and, and we'll see what happens. I thought I was never going to hear from him again. A week rolls, rolls by. 
And he said, they're in, they want to do it. So how quickly can you write a screenplay? I mean, we didn't even have a screenplay. So how quickly can you do it? We said, uh, well, give us a couple of weeks. We wrote in a couple of weeks. And then we were in pre-production like the following month. And then we shot this little low budget parody movie that was really stupid. And it was really just ridiculous. And it was like to parody a comedy is insane. It makes no sense at all. But we kind of knew at that point there was some desperation and urgency behind pushing this project for many different reasons. And we knew it would create some attention just because Judd Apatow was like the guy. He still is the guy, but like during that time, there was a string of movies that are like back to back that obviously were very successful. So we knew we had to piggyback on that and, and then shot this movie for like nothing. And, and it did, it did well. And the Fox released it and it did really well. That's, so that's how that, that's how that came about. That's great. Was there ever like a moment where you got to like, just send the DVD copies to Judd and all the actors and like, Hey, here's your sequel or like, or do they ever get to you on that? Cause I feel like I would love something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's so funny. It, it's so funny. Cause when we did save Ryan's privates, <laughs> apparently Spielberg was not happy at all. He just was not <laughs> happy. And we, and we, and I mean, I, I understand, but our intent was not to make fun of, you know, of world war two. It was just a parody of the, you know, the tone of the film. And so anyway, the bottom line is, but, Spielberg's company at DreamWorks, they had brought us in for a meeting regardless because there were some people underneath him that liked the film, but he didn't. But so I was a little skeptical when we did 41 year old because I didn't know what, you know, how Judd was going to react. I mean, anyway, the bottom line is um, we, years go by. And then finally, last year during the lockdown, he posted on his Instagram. Um, well, the picture of our DVD saying, now I could finally watch this. <laughs> and uh, so, so, uh, and then, and then I think Seth Rogen like replied, oh, wow, man, tell me what you think. Or, you know, so, something along those lines. He's like, he's like, I always thought it was so weird that they're parroting a comedy. That was like his <laughs> comment, which like, you're absolutely right. It was freaking weird. But anyway, but the bottom line is um, that was the, we, we never, I'm sure he turned it off after two minutes, but but regardless, he, I, I'm sure at least he he tried to watch it. No, that, that's great. I love that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and, it's pretty funny. And I also got a, I, I uh, wrote an article because Spielberg's not really synonymous with comedy, but mm. I think I wrote an article about like Spielberg's funniest moments he put in his film. And the number one one was from Saving Private Ryan is like the funniest scene he's ever made, which is the scene where the troops get to the wrong Private Ryan and tell him the whole thing. Do you remember? <laughs> they, yes. they get the wrong yes. Private Ryan. It's like, that yes. is like a genius, almost yes. spoof comedy in this kind Absolutely. of serious thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that was great. A hundred percent. So I like that. I like that. So, yeah. so now you're moving into action. Um, you've worked with Danny Trejo and now you're into the horror genre and you're mixing the horror genre with the comedy with let us in. Um, and you get some great actors, Tobin Bell, and I believe your mm -hmm. daughter, Mackenzie Moss. Yes. 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 It's so funny. I've had a bunch of interviews and, and no one has connected the dots and, and you did. So. Oh yeah. No, nicely yeah. done. Yeah. Cause I think you've worked with her on a, another one of your movies, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I did. And 
Um, and then the hilarious other kid, O'Neill Monahan, who's yes. Oh my, <laughs> so funny. He's so funny. He's yeah. so funny. He's so, he's he's so funny, and he's got such great comedic instincts, and he's such a sweet kid, and he's such a good actor. Right. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. so you've kind of you you kind of cultivated like this this amazing like kind of Wonka factory of family and work where everybody's involved in the film and television industry. How does that work on a daily basis? Like that's gotta be so much fun. Like at the dinner table, like, what are you working on? What are you working on? Let's run lines. Yeah. Let's do this movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's a lot of fun because there's such, there's this common interest. And um, I think when you, I don't know if you have kids or, or, um, or not, but when you have, when you have a family and you can have, common interests and in whatever it is, you know, whether it's sports or a hobby or whatever, but it, ours happens to be, you know, film and television. Um, it's a fun thing because you can share these stories and work together and collaborate and, you know, turn to, to, you know, your spouse or your kids to get their opinion. And, you know, so it's, um, it's fun. It's definitely a lot of fun, and, but, you know, and also being able to sort of balance it, you know, draw the line between talking about it too much and, mm -hmm. you know, focusing on other things. And I think we, we've been able to balance both and not let it, the business side completely consume, you know, what we're doing. Good deal. Good deal. Family. Yeah. Yeah. So with yeah. let us in, um, you, uh, co-wrote this, you directed it. Um, how did this, this spark of the idea come about? Was it like, was it like research? You read something like yeah. eerie in the newspaper or did you like, how did that come up? Because it was upon watching it, it was shockingly terrifying, you know, in the terrifying scenes. I was, I was like, right. jump scares were good. Like the background was great. I was like, man, I want to see like, uh, I, I want to <laughs> see like a, a prequel film. I want to see where it goes. And it's like, man, there's right. some like scary, dark stuff material here. And then you flip it around and you actually add a sense of comedy and dark comedy to it. So I really enjoyed that aspect. But yeah, tell me where it, the spark was. It's weird, Brian, because it's kind of like you're with me because you, you, you call all these things that happen between you know the the uh jvc camera and and now reading an article I, I literally we joe and i who i wrote the film with we were trying to figure out the next movie and um we knew the genre we wanted to do it was just a matter of like being inspired or finding the best subject matter so i i researched via the internet um the information superhighway I, I discovered um, a list of these great urban legends. And this one, the Black Eyed Kid, seemed to like be at the top and was just like, to me, when I read it, and, I, and it, when, when I sort of researched it, it freaked me out. Like I was, I, I, it was chilling and it was just so weird. And the fact that people swear by it, that it happened to them. And, you know, it, it just made me think, okay, this could, I'm surprised no one's done this before and this would make a great story. So from that, that inspired, you know, Joe and I knew we wanted to, we wanted to target sort of a bit of a younger audience and, and have a younger cast because we felt like 
that marketplace, there was a void in the marketplace for, for these type of films. Like, you know, growing up in the, as I got older through the eighties, it was like, you had some great movies like Goonies that were, you know, targeted for, for that age group. And there, there really isn't that much these days, especially with the female protagonist that's 12 years old. So um, created the story around that. And, um, and then it just sort of, it, it came to be, which, which, uh, you know, uh, we, we were just really into what the story was and sort of the message it was telling. Right. And I'm glad to talk about a little bit about like the screenplay process because let us in has elements of Amblin in it, Amblin entertainment in it, because, you know, like you said, the Goonies and like monster squad back then, and these movies were for kids, but they didn't dumb it down to like a G rating like they do so much today. And this movie definitely didn't (laughs) because I was like, Whoa, my goodness. Like that things are happening. I was like, I'm scared. <laughs> and so how do you walk that line? Because there's actually, I mean, there's some pretty, you know, adult subjects in here about, you know, mm-hmm. tragedy and loss and stuff like that. And yeah. yeah how'd you tackle yeah. that? Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, a lot of the films um, are definitely softened. I, I kind of feel like um, we needed something that kids can handle a certain amount of, of, of scariness and creepiness in a movie. And, and, and also um, we wanted the characters to have more depth and um, you're right, there was tragedy and loss and, and uh, but also tackling other issues that, that kids are dealing with all the time. And I have a, a 17 year old besides Mackenzie, uh, my 17 year old Olivia, who has a small cameo in the movie, but having two daughters, you experience a lot and you're able to see things through their perspective. Um, in addition to all of the sort of carpooling that I take the kids and their friends to different places, to the beach or whatever, and you're listening to all this dialogue that's going on between all the kids. So it's great research and uh, it was a, a great foundation for sort of you know, starting to, to get into developing the screenplay. Excellent, excellent. Um... I like that you're you're taking all the it's very John yeah. Hughes and Cameron Crowe of you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Cameron Crowe he sat in at, uh, for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right? He was he was he was the uh, he he was trying to be the student, but everyone thought he was a narc. Isn't right. The story? Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, yeah, he he did that, and then they just released it on Criterion. He does a new interview uh, with Heckerling, and he talks about uh-huh. that, and talks about going into the dumpsters on the last day of school and getting everybody's diaries, and all of that just made the movie. Oh, really? So that's oh, kind of cool. Went into the dumpster. Oh, that's really yeah. that's interesting. He did. Nice. Um, so yeah. I thought that's yeah. cool, and yeah. I gotta say, some of the comedic elements of the movie, uh, specifically a scene with Tobin Bell, who we all know is Jigsaw. Um, and uh, O'Neill Monahan, their dialogue back and forth in the house what d- killed me. <laughs> like the reactions of both and their delivery was so great. <laughs> that had to be a shoot. Yeah. That had to be just a hoot and a fun time to film that. Oh my God. Oh, it was so great. It was so great because it also gave Tobin a, a chance to be comedic, but in a very subtle way. Which, which is what I loved. Like he, he did such a great job. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've never seen him in a comedy or do comedy. And um, that was a great moment. And the chemistry between the two of them was so great. 
Um, so yes, that, that was a scene that I, I loved and I love cutting that scene too. It was, it was so much fun to put together. Yeah. In that scene, I got to ask, uh, I don't think this will give anything away, but, um, who's the big Ferris Bueller's day off fan. <laughs> <laughs> good eye. Good eye. That would be me. That would be you. Okay. Yes, Cause yeah, like I rewound yeah. it and I was like, wait, <laughs> is this, this is a great thing of yeah. <laughs> like, I'm there seeing... were a little, a little things that we were able to drop in from some of the, uh, so some of the favorite cinema throughout throughout the 80s and stuff so and and uh anyway yeah that was that was one of them no that it was pitch perfect because i was like yeah that's this like okay rewind that i was like oh my god toba did it and it was great too <laughs> i'm glad you did that that was i i thought it handled very well i like you like your little and, easter eggs here and there yeah yeah we i dropped a few of them i don't know if tobin realized it though i don't know if he knew but it didn't matter because he delivered it so great. And it was, uh, it was just, I loved him saying that. It was just great. Awesome. And then I've got to ask, is Flying Saucer Rock and Roll a real movie? Because I think it is. Yeah, and it is. the it title is. just sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Joe, who's an executive producer and a co-writer on the film, um, he and his son, Eric, Eric plays Mr. J.O. in the film. And I and and I and and I worked with Eric on the forty-one-year-old virgin and a movie I did called Breaking Wind, which is a parody of Twilight. And uh, Eric um, and Joe, one of their first movies they ever did was the that movie, Flying Saucer Rock and Roll. So um, we we just sort of laid that into some of the dialogue. Oh, made reference good. made reference to that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I like I, li I like that you did that. Um, yeah. So in creating the horror elements, I imagine just like in your comedy as well as horror, there's a sense of how you get it delivered, how you execute it and how it's delivered, mm -hmm. whether it's in horror and comedy. And you do both very well in Let Us In. Can you talk a little bit about you know, utilizing different camera shots for like the horror aspect elements of this sure. movie, because, you know, there's one scene where there's, which I really loved. Um, there's a scene where it's like a first person shot of somebody going into the pool and they look mm -hmm. up and they see something else that's just truly terrifying. Yeah. So I just like these elements that like, you don't normally see stuff like that. It would have been done differently somewhere else, but I think this one, it just, it hit hit harder I think yeah yeah no thank you um well I you know you're right though when it comes to comedy and when you're you're also doing horror or suspense or a thriller they're similar in respect to the 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 rhythms and so like the rhythms of comedy and then the, the rhythms of, of building the suspense and scaring people so having doing the comedies uh, in the beginning of my career helped for that and so um but what I do love about this genre, whether it's, you know, the sci-fi horror thriller um, or, or all of the above or each one individually, there, you can tell a great story through camera. And um, it, it, we had a lot of the, we had a lot of moments. And, and that's why I like shooting the genre, too, because it, it plays a big part in, in, you know, trying to make things creepier, building suspense, scaring people. Um, so there's, there's just a lot more I feel like you can do 
in the genre. And, uh, you know, this film, we, we, we obviously, we had a limited amount of days that we could shoot the film and we had a small budget. And, but we tried our best to get as creative as possible within our time frame that we had to, to do things to help enhance telling the story. All right. All right. That's, um, that's, it has to, is there, is there something like, is there a process where you go back and you're like, okay, that's not going to work, but I have to see if like I film it first and see if it works. Or do you just know kind of right away when you put pen to paper, like this is going to, this is going to like, a, like a specific a, a specific shot or just a scene in general like a scene, scene in general, general or yeah scene in general uh you you know you write it and then you go in and you rehearse it a couple times and then you shoot it and then um you just you, you get as many takes as you can you, you, within your time frame that you have and then you you hope that when you cut it that that it's going to cut well and uh you know because when you're shooting a movie you just a lot of times you don't know you just don't know how it's you hope it's gonna you think on set oh this is great oh that was great but you don't know how it's gonna cut together so you there's a lot of you know waiting and seeing and then piecing it together and then you're like okay all right and then usually when you get your rough cut you're just you're so miserable and it's just like oh God, this is such a piece of shit i i you just you get so down on yourself and and then you just, okay, you started carving away at it and you start to get it to where it needs to be. And then, you're like, okay, maybe this will work. And then continue going. And, and, uh, and my dog Lamb Chop agrees. And, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about um, Todd Haberman doing the score for this, adding yeah. those haunting elements and kind of maybe a little lighter element to it and during some of the comedic scenes. Yeah. Uh, how'd yeah. you hook up with um with Todd and uh what's your music relationship with films? So Todd I've worked with since the beginning when I did uh the 41 year old. Um so and he's worked on every single film that I've done and he's amazing and we you have a shorthand and he's super smart. He totally gets it. Um um, we, we, we work very well together. So, you know, I don't know what it's like to work with anybody else. And, um, which, which I like that. And there's a lot of people that have worked on the films that I've worked on that I continue to work with, but, um, he's, he's been around forever. And, uh, obviously this film specifically, I mean, the score is a huge part of, of the film and it has to be. When, when, when you're dealing with this genre. And so um, I completely, you know, trust Todd. And, 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 and so we, we worked together and he came up with something. I just thought did such a great job with it. Just, just sounded so great and, and just took things just to the next level. That's great. That's great. And, yeah. and I, I love the music in it. So that was cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank I, you. I, I yeah. enjoy that. Um, and that's cool. You've got to work with him since the beginning like that's a yeah. good relationship yeah yeah that's no, cool. i love that um and was it your idea or was your daughter Mackenzie uh just really enjoyed the scooter through the whole movie because i feel like that's probably <laughs> a real fun thing to get to shoot you know either an action scene like running down the street or then right. doing the scooter thing you know with traffic and on the road i had to be super right <laughs> yeah 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 no that was that was what was written in the screenplay it just I knew that, you know, especially when we were shooting this, we shot it pre-pandemic and everywhere you go, they'd have the scooters, the, you know, the Lime scooters or the, uh, 
there was a, what was the other, the, I the bird, the other, the bird. Yes. Yeah. The bird. Is that even around still? I don't think those are still around. I, okay, I remember okay. I first saw it when I was in Santa Monica and yeah. then back in Dallas, they like a week later showed up in like downtown and yeah, uh, a few other yeah, locations. Popular. Yeah. I mean, everybody was on the, I, I used it. I remember, uh, it, when I w- had to go into Westwood, you couldn't find any parking. And I, I love that thing. It was so much fun. Anyway, so uh, it's like this middle-aged guy in a scooter, like ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so regardless, um, we, we, so I put that in the screenplay and then uh, Mackenzie was so excited and we had the stunt coordinator work with her and writing it. And uh, she just, I mean, that was like the best thing ever. But the thing is with that scooter, it's pretty powerful especially when you first use the throttle and you, you kick it, it just takes off. So that we had to sort of kind of figure that process out, but she was great with it and uh, she did a great job. And I was a little freaked. There were a few times I was a little freaked out with her riding it. <laughs> yeah. For yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, yeah. I, I thought that was awesome. It's like, man, I want to be a kid and get to do that on a movie set. That just looks oh, like the most. Fun. <laughs> oh, it's oh, so much fun so much fun that was good um yeah so you mentioned a little earlier that you threw little easter eggs here and there and here and we we found ferris bueller are there any others you want to mention because i feel like i heard another one but i wasn't quite sure because i thought of another movie with a, with certain sound effects you you oh you you said you did come across another one well, I think I did. I'm not sure with sound effects. I was like, this sounds eerily familiar. What to me. was it? What were, what was I think it was kind of like the alien-like sounds. And I, I thought of uh, okay. the explorers um okay. with uh um Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix with some of the when they go to the spaceship. I was like, this kind of sounds like a little familiar to me. <laughs> I I would say to you, I wish I could take ownership on that, but no, that I did not. I there was no reference to that. Um, but there are others in the film. Okay. I I don't want to I don't want to give them away. I, okay. I you know I I'd love for people you know if if that's the only reason people are going to see the film, then I gotta I gotta hang on to that and let them see. It. But there are, <laughs> there are there are there are there are some there are some more in there. Sure. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, I, yeah, that's good. So yeah. let let let's well at, first off, I, I have a, a very serious question for you. Sure. So my serious question is, why? is Tom Berenger one of the greatest actors in the world? And yeah, why? <laughs> How do you even know that? I do my research. <laughs> Wait a second. Hold on a second. How do you know that? I do that research. Amazing. <laughs> well, I- I'm curious because, I mean, that's amazing that you say that. Did you see that film? Well, which, which one? Well, well, well I'm curious. Because there's a film that I did a long time ago um, with Sean Spector, it was probably uh, and, and a guy named Diego Nunez. That it was a um, <laughs> it was a mockumentary, and it was the only thing that I've ever acted in. And it was a lot of it was improvised, and it was called Pigeonhole, and it was sort of a parody of just the Hollywood business. And I played this sort of this filmmaker, producer, and scumbag. And so there was reference to it. And the whole idea was I was trying to get Tom Berenger attached to 
the screenplay yeah. and talk about how great of, a, of, a, of an actor he is. So I, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about, but- but Right, maybe, right, maybe. right, yes. I think I've heard some interviews talking about it and I was like, oh man, I love Tom Berenger as well. And that, talking <laughs> about the pigeonhole thing, that's like, that's- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that was the whole thing with, with Tom Berenger. And, you know, um, I, I always been a big fan. Love to see him in something else. I mean, is he done? Has he been in anything recently? Is he, is he retired or what's his- I don't know. The, the last thing I, I mean, the big thing that I remember him in was Inception and, you know, out of nowhere, Christopher right. Nolan and Tom Berenger. And I'm, you know, I'm still waiting on another substitute. I'm still waiting on another major league, you know? Right. <laughs> so Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I don't know. We but need I, to, we need to, we need to, he needs to be in more film. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, you know, any filmmakers out there, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's start attaching him to material. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I'm glad yeah. you like Tom Berenger too. That she yeah, got of to... course. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. It's the best. He is the best. He's the best. Yeah. So yeah, that was my serious question. It was very serious. <laughs> <laughs> I like that question. Um, nice. And in working with Tobin Bell on this, um, did, did your kids or any of the younger actors see any of his you know his saw franchise and i believe he's in a scorsese film at one point for a second like did they know his background or like his horror no no, no they didn't i mean i never i never let them watch those, those movies saw but you know it's funny because when mackenzie when we shot this mackenzie was 12 and uh and and um olivia was 14 so now Mackenzie's almost 15. She'll be 15 in September and Olivia's 17. So Mackenzie's now saying, she's done a bunch of interviews for this and they keep asking her about that, you know, similar question. She goes, no, I've never, I didn't know, even know who he was, but, you know, loved working with him. He was terrific, nicest guy, but now I need to watch the Saw movie. So, so I think now we're going to start watching him and get her into that and see if she, if she can handle watching him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She never liked scary movies up until now. Like she would get really freaked out by it. So we, you know, we kept everything light and I just kept introducing her to all the eighties great, you know, all the great movies of the eighties and nineties. And so she, she loved that. So I think now she's ready to tap into something a little, a little darker and scarier. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some fun questions here. Um, okay. What is the most thrilling movie experience you've ever had both as a filmmaker and as a fan of movies such as like you saw opening night this movie and then behind the camera mm -hmm. uh well making films the most thrilling um they're all i mean look to be honest just being able to make i mean it, it sounds stupid but i'm being honest like just being able to make a film is thrilling like being able to, and what I do, it's on the independent side. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a tough road to, to make film. And so, um, you know, being able to be on set and work with great actors and, and put together something on film is, is always thrilling. So everything that I've done, every, even the short films were so much fun to do, just getting out there and doing it. It's just, I, I love it. It's great. Um, as far as a fan, um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many, so many movies that that uh, that I love. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of like sort of. 
okay, here was the best, this is the best movie experience I think I've ever had. Um, so growing up in LA, obviously you have friends that have parents that are in the movie business. And my best friend, David Spitz, growing up, his father was um, president of distribution at Columbia Pictures. And so we would get invited to a lot of different like screenings and you know, rough cut screenings and premieres. And we're very lucky to like be a part of that growing up. And he invited me to a rough cut screening of Ghostbusters. And um, it was on, the screening was on the lot and we were probably 15 years old and um, sat in the screening room and behind us was, was the cast. I mean, there's Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and uh, um, I think Ernie Hudson was there. Um, but I know Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd were there. Anyway, so the bottom line was watching the movie with them behind us. And I remember the line when Ernie Hudson said, oh, that's some big Twinkie. And uh, Dan Aykroyd repeated the line and said, oh, God, that's some big Twinkie. That's, that's, that's hysterical. Like, I just remember that moment, him enjoying that line. And he was a writer on the film, so he was enjoying his own writing. But, but, but anyway, it was, just, it was just so cool. And uh, to be able to experience that with, with, at that age, with that cast, with that movie, which is like one of my all-time favorite movies. No, that's, that's, that is a great movie. Uh, I think one of my, so my next question for you will definitely be, since obviously you're a purveyor of cinema, um, are there any certain scenes in movies that have always stuck with you that you wake up and you're like, yes, this movie inspires me to make movies, makes me laugh, this horrifies me. Scenes in movies and one from Ghostbusters, well, one scene for me, it was in Ghostbusters, but it's nothing to do with the actual Ghostbusters. It's actually Rick Moranis's Lewis Tolley at his party going through his okay. insurance thing. Let I'll Ted the net yeah. come take off yeah. your coats. Yeah. Like that whole monologue is oh, genius. Oh my God. That whole thing. I mean, me and my friends would recite that, just that. <laughs> Just his lines was like genius. And he's, I mean, he stole the movie. I mean, Bill Murray's Bill Murray, but like Rick Moranis stole that movie. I mean, he was just so freaking funny. I mean, this is a Ted and Annette Fleming. They own a small carpet cleaning business in receivership. I mean, that whole thing was just phenomenal. So they're okay. <laughs> they're all right. Okay, who brought the dog? Um, but it's, yeah, he was just genius. Um, but yeah, I mean, that movie, I remember when, when, um, when Beverly Hills Cop came out and that Eddie Murphy, like all those, all that dialogue was, was just like, you would be in your daily, you know, vernacular. It was just like, you know, um, and then, you know, all we loved all the Mel Brooks movies, like, you know, Blazing Saddles and, and, and High Anxiety. And, and then, you know, Airplane was like a big deal, like reciting all those lines. And, you know, um, but like from, you know, from a movie making perspective, I just remember uh, I was obsessed with Goodfellas. Like that, that movie, I just couldn't stop watching. And, and just like every scene was just so powerful and amazing. And there was a purpose for everything. And just, just from a filmmaking perspective and, you know, I mean, look, everybody loves Scorsese. It's, it's sort of, you know, it's a given and it's, but I, I remember just seeing that movie and being like, oh my God, this is, you know, there's, there's no way I could 
do anything like this. Like it's just phenomenal. So, um, and, 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 and two, you know, obviously the Spielberg stuff too, you know, and, and, and the hit and then seeing the older stuff too, Hitchcock and, but yeah, Goodfellas definitely was, was one that was like, wow, it's an amazing good. movie. That's yeah. good. Not far, like for a stone's throw away from my place here. There's an Italian restaurant that actually has that painting from Goodfellas of the two dogs and the old man the in the Pesci? fishing boat. Yeah, yes, right, and it's hanging right. on their wall in the Italian Oh, restaurant. really? It's great. That's amazing. <laughs> which which I know that scene, from what I understand, a good part of it was improvised. Like yes. Was, you know, <laughs> and you could kind of tell when Pesci uh, talks about it, getting the hoof, getting cut off or whatever. Yeah, because that's uh, Marty's mom at the dinner yeah, table. Yeah, <laughs> which, which, which she's great. She's terrific. And since today, as we're doing this show, it is Mel Brooks's 95th birthday today. Is today? there? It is. Today is 95. Holy shit. I can't believe it. That's so, I can't that's believe amazing. it either. So oh tell me God. funniest moments in Mel Brooks movies. I know you named a couple movies, but I guess, I guess to let you think about it for a second, for some reason, his writing and delivery of one of the oldest and simplest jokes was in Spaceballs, and it's the asshole joke. I'm surrounded mm -hmm, by assholes, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. good God, does he build it up perfectly? <laughs> and of course, Rick Moranis so and George Weiner are amazing yeah. in it, but the yeah. whole thing, like, <laughs> he's an so asshole, funny. sir. And it's just yeah. that, yeah. that scene still sticks with me of just like comedic genius right there. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, that and and then I remember talking about the Z Channel. They always played History of the World, and um, did you see History of the World? Oh part, yes, part one or part whatever. Yes, it it was so funny, and the musical moments and everything that that with that film it was just <laughs> so genius. And uh, uh, I mean, Blazing Saddles. I, I just remember yeah. seeing that as a kid, and I just remember specifically seeing the uh, campfire fart scene, <laughs> which, you know, nowadays, if you saw that scene, it would be like, cause everybody tries to duplicate a good fart scene, but that was like one of the original ones that was just like, I, I mean, I seeing it as a kid, you were like, oh my God, this is, this is the funniest thing in the world. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think that movie in general obviously wouldn't fly today, but there's so many, so many funny things in that. I mean, it's just genius. Just the, the concept is hysterical and the, and the way he executed it is just so funny. And he's, he's, I mean, he was the best. I mean, he sort of, you know, prompted and spawned all the, the great parodies that, you know, not mine, but like, you know, the Zucker brothers and, you know, the, right. the airplanes and everything else. I mean, he was like the, the grandfather of, of the, the parody. No, Young Frankenstein. Sure. Yeah. He's just phenomenal, but I can't believe he's 95. Well, happy birthday to Mel Brooks. That's, that's, that's amazing. No, that's I great. Yeah, was... I wonder if he's going to, to Nate Nell's uh, to celebrate. Yeah, I, I hope so. My, take yeah. a quick trip. It's like, where well, are you here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so since you've done a couple of these parody films, is there a certain collection of movies that you've always wanted to parody? Like whether it be like 
the the Paul Thomas Anderson catalog, the the Martin Scorsese catalog, or Akira Kurosawa films, which they kind of right. have a little bit, but I don't know. Right. Um, no, I don't. It's it's funny because like I'll there'll be moments where you things will you'll watch something on television, you'll see something, and you'll be like, oh my god, this this is so like ready to be parodied. Like it just you know it's so obvious, but. I don't look at other filmmakers. It's more the Judd Apatow thing was just the Judd Apatow thing because of that story that I told you, him being a brand. But usually it's a genre or, or a specific film, um, not so much the filmmaker. But um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I've sort of I've been lucky enough to kind of move into different genres and, and being able to create original content, which has been great which has been terrific, but the parody is what got, what got me to this point. So I owe a lot to it. And, but if there is something that comes up that seems like it would be a great thing to spoof, I absolutely, definitely, awesome. Awesome. definitely do it. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our show. We talked for hours. We'll have you on again, <laughs> but uh, the spotlight is on you, Craig, and to round to bring this full circle, if you sure. want to, in the vein of your favorite pro wrestler tell everyone in the world where they can find let us in oh my god <laughs> uh uh first of all i love hulk hogan love that guy if i tried to do an impression of him i would butcher the crap out of it so so um because i'm I, yeah but i do love the hulk like let's you know he he, he is he is fantastic um but you can see it July 2nd on any digital platform. Get your kids, get your spouse, get in there, watch the film. It's 84 minutes. So we, you know, look at it. It's not an epic. It's not like Gandhi. There won't be an intermission. So just go in there, enjoy the film and, and get some bucket of popcorn and just sit back and relax because you're going to love it. I guarantee it. <laughs> that's my, by the way, that's my Hulk Hogan. I don't know. <laughs> that was great. And that's the bottom yeah. line. Cause yeah. Craig Moss said so. <laughs> that's it right there that's it see Fantastic. I, I made it seem like i wasn't gonna do it and then i slipped then you did it. it you broke yes, in it. let me yeah, tell yes. you something brother that's, that's right that's right <laughs> well thank you uh yeah. so much for joining the celebrity hour podcast that was fantastic everyone go see let us in thank you <laughs>